Good morning. I'm just delighted to be here. I'm always delighted to be here. I don't know what to say. I wake up in the morning, usually I feel pretty good, and I can't wait on Sunday morning to be, and I get to do this. But what really excites me is what we're trying to do every single Sunday. Three C's, we're celebrating the goodness of God and changed lives and ministry impact. We're connecting with God. That's the second C, connecting with God and with each other, and that's, that's what we always want to have happening in here. And the third thing is a challenge. We always hope that somehow we'll feel like we're being challenged to take the next best step in our life of faith. And, and so, hey, I'm just excited to be here. I am a terminal extrovert, so it comes pretty naturally to me. I like people. I like you. I hope you like each other. And on we go. And I want to point over here to this, and I'm going to grab it. On we go together with, with celebration and with challenge and with connecting. And I just have to talk just for a minute if I could this morning. I hope you can see this clearly online. Welcome online. Welcome in the room. This is that building that's going up over there. I don't know if you noticed. That rascal is coming way out of the ground. And what I wanted to do is just show it to you and say a couple of things about it because what Kath, and connect to what Kathy said a few minutes ago about prayer and fasting. This, this is a mighty act of God. It's just that simple. There's no, we're not slick. It's not political in the sense of somebody trying to make something happen. Literally, David Lennon, the chair of the company that's building the church, before I even knew he built churches, he and I were friends. And he said, Fitz, the very first thing you, Fitz, the pastor, must do is pray. And I'm, he meant it, and that's what I've done. And the other second thing he said is, Fitz, stay out of it. <laughs> and I have and I will. I've been in charge of making sure we kept the great big picture in mind, but I didn't have to work very hard on that because there was already alignment. And what this is just fantastic because people have given of their time and their talents and their treasures, and we continue to give. We, hey, I don't know how this is going to turn out, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of stuff yet that we don't know, and I, what I think that means is our in relationships with people and the way lives are going to change and the way our ministries are going to impact. We, the people who are de have designed this building, they have a pretty good idea what they're doing. I don't mean it that way. Yeah, the steel is the right steel. The blocks are the right blocks, but what God does with us from there forward and the last thing I'd say is we think, Kathy and I looked around at some of the history, we think this is about the seventh home of First Presbyterian Church. It was founded in Ida Hale's living room in 1884 when downtown Tampa was, this, it, that was Tampa, downtown. So I'm going to put this back and just say this this way, and I, I know I'm off camera, but I'll be right back. Not a lot of churches are still around that were founded in 1884. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to realize that as we're going to see in this story about the people of Israel trying to trust God when they did not know what was coming next, and that is what the story is about, we're going to keep moving, but we really don't know how this is going to go. We have very little data, but we have enough to keep moving. The same thing is true for us. Here we are, 1884 to 2023, and God wants us here. And that's the confidence I have. Past that, I think God wants us to be doing real relationships where people can encounter the living Jesus Christ, and then their lives will change, and then they'll want to share that with other people. I'm pretty clear about that. But after that, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know who you're going to meet. I don't know whose life is going to change in a group. Thank you for telling us about your life changing in a group. Because that's just so encouraging. And my life is different because of groups. Anyway, all of that's a long, long, long way of saying, man, God is at work in the history 
of Israel, which we'll see again. God's at, at work in the city of Tampa. God's been at work for a long time at First Presbyterian Church. And you and I are standing on the shoulders of all of those Jesus followers since 1884, ministry in, in, and life change, ministry impact. And guess what? This building is going to help you and me be. You and I will be shoulders because there's going to be people standing on our shoulders and they're going to look back and say, those people trusted God and kept moving. And we are the beneficiaries of it. The, the kingdom is the beneficiary of us trusting God and moving forward. And this, just, this doesn't happen overnight. And the, the movement of God's work in the world goes way back to creation itself. So I'll just remind you of that. I don't know if you know this, but God created the heavens and the earth. That's the very first sentence in the Bible. God created everything. And oh, we have to constantly, constantly remind ourselves of that. There's a big project going on. And when God created heavens and earth and he created us, human beings, heaven and earth were aligned. But oh, a spiritual rebel broke into the system, hissing, a snake, a liar, telling us that we really didn't need God. And so heaven and earth became unaligned. There's still an overlap. But heaven and earth, having been on top of each other with no distinction, now they've come apart. And here's what you know, and here's what I know. Things are not as they should be. I'll say that again. Things are not as they should be. You know that. It's, it's true about our personal lives. It's true about our world. It's just not as it should be. We all know that, no matter whether a person could be a total, absolute, completely certain atheist. But they still know that things are not as they should be. And so do you and so do I. And that's a way for you to summarize what I'm trying to say about the human condition. We broke away deciding we could be God for ourselves and we don't need God. And then we end up with relational vandalism. All kinds of things start breaking. Page three, we revolt. Page four, Cain murders his brother Abel. Somehow the brokenness of humanity... Cain saw it to be in his best interest to kill his brother. How could that be? How could hundreds of hundreds of years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, see it to be in his best interest to murder every boy two years old and younger in, the, in this family of Israel? So what happens is things are not as they should be, and God will not quit because God promised he's going to fix it. And if I could, be, if I could make things simple, because some of you told me I'm, this hadn't been as clear as it needs to be. So I listen. If I can make things simple, God will complete it. It's not as it should be, but God's going to fix it. And you and I already know how that works out because we're talking about Jesus. We're in resurrection season, Easter, April 9. And now we're in the resurrection season, and we're celebrating it every, every time we're together. Are things as they should be? No, but the project to put it back together again. Heaven and earth go back together again. And that's when God is finished. Not yet, but we have the foretaste of it going on in our life. The changed lives that we talk about and celebrate, that's what's happening. So all of that is a way of saying, how can we watch the people of Israel and learn from them how we can be people who do what First Pres has been doing, who, who, who continue to live a life of faith, who continue to trust when we don't know everything and when things are not as they should be and we continue to misstep ourselves. Well, that's what we're watching carefully. And I'm going to let you help. I'm going to do two words today. 
The first word is surrender. So do the best you can as we hear this story about Joshua and Israel. Do the best you can to have the word surrender. Have the word surrender. <laughs> Be the way you guide your thinking. Okay? So I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to summarize for you what it means to be people who are surrendered. And I, it, one of the ways of saying it is this. God, my life is a blank check. Do what you will with it. That's surrender. Whatever, God, the answer is yes. What's the question? Surrender. That's how God wants us. And then we watch this family of faith. We're standing on their shoulders. And here we're watching them struggle with surrender. So it's the people of Israel, to get you ready for what we're going to hear today, the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery by God, who, remember, says, no, these things are not as they should be, but I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to put things back together again. I'm going to get you out of Egypt and back to the promised land. The promised land is what you know today as modern-day Israel. It's partially Palestine, whatever, all of that geography on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. That's the promised land. And they're going back. They've been away for 400. 50 years and they come up from the east and they're up against the Jordan River running north-south as the eastern boundary of the promised land. You with me? All these people of Israel led by Joshua. He's number two in command until Moses the boss dies. Moses dies, hands Joshua the baton. Joshua takes over. They're literally on the river, camped out, and they've been told you're going over. Now I want to remind you there were people there <laughs> People already there, and the people who are already there probably ain't going to like it when Joshua shows up and pulls out this deed to the property and says, by the way, y'all got to go. This is ours. They ain't going to like it. There's fixing to be a fight. This a warlike cultures, and so, yes, there's going to be war. So that's where we are. The people of Israel, over a million people, camped on the eastern edge of the, the, the uh, River Jordan, and here's what happens. Remember, the question is surrender. And I'm gonna, you're going to see what happens and how they have to learn to surrender. So uh, this is Joshua chapter 3, the first three or four verses. <clears throat> Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. Now here come the orders. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. It's a little more than a half mile. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. All right, so that's, that's the plan set up. And here, here's... The people of Israel about to cross the river to go into the promised land and they're scratching their heads going, this is the plan? You mean you want us to follow priests to go across the river? That's a dumb plan. So Joshua, the leader, he gets all kinds of pushback. Joshua, what are you thinking? And Joshua says, I don't know. I'm just doing what I'm told to do. It's a dumb plan, Joshua. What if when they cross, Joshua, think about it. What do priests, they're wimps. So the clergy, we're wimps. It's okay. You can laugh at me. So if you were going into battle, would you run around and find the 15 closest clergy that you, in order to do it? No. That's not what you would do. 
Now, I try to stay in shape, but literally, I mean, you, you, here's who you'd go for. You'd go for the first 15 picks in the NFL draft. That's who you'd go for, right? You'd go after the big guys. And oh, by the way, as is today, you ever heard of the term Mossad? You know who those folks are? The Israeli bad guys, I mean, take SEAL, Secret Service, Ranger, put them all into one hat. Today, if you mess with people in Israel, somebody's coming after you, and you will know it, and you'll know it in a hurry. It ain't nothing different. These were some bad boys. So they're coming to Joshua and saying, Joshua, don't send the priests. What kind of dumb plan is that? Send the mighty men of valor. There was, that's what their name was. The mighty men of valor. These were big guys. They had swords. They had shields. They had chariots. They had horses. They would take you out. That's the way we go over. And Joshua says, the presence of the Lord goes first. We have a picture of the Ark of the Covenant for you to see. Take a look at this thing. This is, I looked around on the internet, and it's just me reading the Bible and trying to figure it out. This one looks pretty good. Now, you see, you got four guys carrying it. They can't touch it. And note, inside this is what? Who knows? The, 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 the tablets, God's word to the people, are, they, they're in this box. Did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Don't look in the box. Remember what happens to those guys? They get nuked. Man, it's one of the greatest scenes ever in the history of cinematography. See, they open that box up. They got the hats on. They're going to be all priestly and everything, and they own it, and they just melt away. It's fantastic. It's a creative way of saying, ooh, don't mess with the presence of God. They got it right. That thing's lost somewhere in some warehouse in D.C. You'll never find it. Government bureaucracy is so deep, you'll never find that thing anywhere. Anyway, here is the, the ark, and notice inside it, it's wood, acacia wood, I think is what it was, covered with gold. And this is the modern attempt to try to depict it. You have four people carrying it. And on the top of it, you're asking me, well, what is that? Those are creatures. They're spiritual creatures who are worshiping God. Cherubim. C-H-E-R-U-B-I-M. Cherubim. That means more than one. The im. Cherub, cherubim. And there they are. And those are their wing-like things. And those don't, don't think angel here. Think another kind of being, and there they are touching. It looks almost like what? Like you could sit there. It's meant to be an invitation for God to be metaphorically seated there. In fact, it's called the mercy seat. Mercy because God, things are not as they should be. And God made a promise to fix it. And God's mercy is, and love is what motivates him. And here is the presence of God. So all of that about this box in, it, in of which is God's revealed self. So if you want to know the meaning of the tablets, it's God's, it's God's way of living life the best, but God has decided, I'm going to reveal myself to them. And this book that we have, it's God revealing himself to us and talking to us. It's just God's voice, God speaking to us. So there they are holding that thing, and God is present, seated on the mercy seat, but we are forbidden to actually make an image of God himself because then we'll start worshiping the image instead of God. But there it is, this thing. And this is the plan. Get the wimpy priests who wear robes, and they're going to walk across the river. Oh, by the way, it's flood stage. So on we go. Jesus is asking us, will we make him preeminent in our life? Will you surrender, Joshua? to a plan for which you don't know the whole way the whole thing's going to turn out. So Joshua chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, let me read those. 
Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead. Just a quick stop here. That's it? That's the plan? So these people are living with this. And we're going over there. There's all kinds of people over there. They're not going to like it. And we're headed out with a box. But notice what we're saying. We're saying that the preeminence of the presence of God is how we make our way through life. And we surrender to that. We don't, you don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's coming next. We usually get just enough to take about two or three steps. And what you and I don't want to do is that. We don't want to just have enough information to take two or three steps. This is what we say. We say, well, I ain't going until I know everything. But see, that, that's not faith. It takes no faith to say, I ain't going until I know everything. But the currency of our right relationship with God is faith. That's how we interact with God. We trust God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here they are, still no plan. And then watch what happens next. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you, Joshua, in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, he surrendered, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly, watch this, drive out before you the inhabitants of the land called Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. A lot of ites. They're getting, they're, the living God has said, I'm going to move them out of there. Things are not as they should be. They broke, but I'm going to fix it. And I'm starting with getting you back to where I promised you would be, and I'm going to make you huge. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God's presence goes first. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, and then God pulls out his resume and says, the Lord of all the earth, that's my way of saying the, the, the creator of the universe, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Yes, we have another miracle happening. This is a miracle like the parting of the Red Sea. This is what's going on here. So that's what happens here. We're, here we are up against the river, and the priests, the priests carry the ark, and up they go. And they do what they're told to do. They don't know how, what, how could this possibly work. It's a still a dumb plan, but the people trust. They're a half mile behind. So on we go, beginning verse 14. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So the river is not a big, deep river. Some of you have been and where some of us are going back in June. It's not a deep river. You could sort of wait across it, but there's a million people. But it's at flood stage. It's up out of its banks. I have been down in Waimama, 
when the little manatee comes up out of its banks and literally you can't get through. You just literally have to drive way, way around to get there. So when, a, when the river comes up out of its banks during flood season, it's serious business. It just goes out uh, sort of like a delta and floods out all over the place. So that's what's happening here. It's at flood stage. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, says the text, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, Jericho being in the Promised Land. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the second time God has to part waters to fulfill his promise to get his people back to a promised land so he can bless them so they can be a great nation that blesses other nations. In fact, every nation on the earth. God is going to finish what God starts. The living God, says the text. The living God who created heaven, the heavens and the earth is in, is in action right now making yet another miracle take place. And I wanted to say a word to you about miracles, if I could. And just we'll just make this all Jesus. Okay, this is Jesus doing this. We know that now because of Resurrection Sunday. Jesus' miracles are not only or simply proof that he has power. Okay, that's not just what they are, but they're also foretastes, wonderful foretastes. Jesus' miracles are not just proof that he has power. They're fantastic, wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with his power. Okay? Jesus' miracles aren't just a challenge to our minds, and they are a challenge to our minds. They're more than that. They're more than a challenge to our mind. They're a promise to our heart that the living God is going to put heaven and earth back again. The things that are all wrong are going to be made right. So in a sense, what I, the way I like to think about miracles is this. It's God's love, and we see not the breaking of laws as much as we see the realm of God, which is not subject to what you and I measure with scientific things. So God is somehow breaking in. It's not, it's not a violation. It's the realm of God. It's, it's heaven breaking into earth, so to speak. It's the realm of God on top of the realm of where we live. And so I'm inviting you to let uh, the miracle be what I think we're supposed to want them to be, which is a demonstration of God's power and how he's going to use it. And the mercy seat on that box, it's God's mercy that motivates his heart. And there's a coming a day when God puts heaven and earth back together again, when all that power is going to make everything right. And we know it's going to happen because of the power of the resurrection. The God, the Spirit, making life out of death, making Jesus alive again. He was really dead and he's really alive. And that's what's going to happen when everything is finished. All of it on top of each other. So here we are making our way through the Jordan River. It's dry. So we, we had the word surrender. So just let me remind you, blank check. I'm going to trust you. I don't know what's coming next. I got enough light to see about two steps. I want a GPS, but I'll take faith. GPS doesn't take faith, but taking steps is 
That's what God wants us to do. And so that's what we're trying to do. But now watch what happens. The first word was surrender. The second word is going to be remember. So we're surrendering. We're saying, okay, God, I'm a check. Whatever you want to do, my answer is yes, I'll do it. And off we go. It doesn't even make any sense. It's a dumb plan. But watch what happens now. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, that's 12, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when, <coughs> when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the camp, and they put them down. This is, this is weird. We're surrendering so that we can follow God in faith, and then we're remembering. And what are we remembering? We're remembering how God has taken action in our lives, and we're memorializing it. So you're, you're being challenged. I'm being challenged to surrender. You do what you will with me, God. But now the, this thing, you can do this right now today. My challenge to you is to do it today. Start. You need to find 12 rocks. I need to find 12 rocks. And you're going to write down somehow in your mind what this rock is about. Let me tell you what your first rock is. You're going to go. This is, your, this is what you are going to do with this this morning. You're going to surrender. That's harder to measure, but you can count to what to 12. You're going to get the first rock you're going to have. Maybe you write it on a piece of paper. Maybe you actually go get a rock. The rock is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we're here. We are here because Jesus has died for us. And you and I can say, I, that's where my rock starts. So when I remember about me and about how God has fulfilled his promises, I'm going to have a rock. That's the, that's the first rock. I'm going to give you a second rock for me, okay, and then a third. The second rock for me would be when I was 18 years old and I was at a Young Life camp and I was challenged to surrender to Jesus. And I was outside by myself, as we all were. There were 300 teenagers. And I sat on a rock, just happened to be by a creek in the mountains of North Carolina. And I said, okay, I surrender. Take me. I'll do, I, I, best I know, I'm going to be your follower. And I began to follow Jesus on purpose, carefully, intentionally, with everything I had. I gave it everything I had trying to give it everything I had every day. So that's my second rock. And literally, I know exactly where it is, and I can go there if I wanted to right now today and sit on that rock again. Third rock, a member of my family recently told me that they can tell a difference in me, a difference they like, that I'm, I think they meant I'm more open. And I'm telling you, the third, the third rock is 10 years of hard work in counseling with a Christian therapist. She retired, so I can't talk to her anymore. <laughs> I would, <laughs> but I'm okay. And I think I was sort of okay before, but oh, I just got a chance to look at it all. And this member of my family said it to me. 
and this member. Of, so that's just the third rock for me. I don't know what your rocks are, but you are being called to surrender. You're a blank check, and you're being called to move forward across a river, even when it's the dumbest plan you ever saw in your whole life. And then when you get on the other side and you realize that God has acted mightily in your life, you go out of your way right now today to find 12 things that have been a part of your life that are the faithfulness of the mercy of God. And so we surrender and we remember, don't wait until you're up against a flood stage. Don't wait until you're up against a flood stage river to do the remembering. You can start now. It will help you when the flood comes. Right now is the time we do it. Right now is the, right here is the place we do it. Surrender and remember. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, you are our first rock because we know in, in your life and death and resurrection, Jesus, that you have given us what we need. Things are not as they should be, but you have begun the restoration project, and we get to be a part of your story. So we're grateful for that, and we thank you, gracious God, that each one of us can build a memorial to your faithfulness in our lives. And we can see in, uh, in our own personal experience, and we now, we now have been challenged to build a memorial in whatever way it makes sense for us. And we're going to find 12 ways of saying, wow, you worked in the past in our life, and now you're at work again. Thank you, gracious God, that we can surrender, that we can remember, that you will therefore transform us, and we can be a part of your story. We can help other people come to know you. We can be the shoulders on, on, that other people are going to stand on. Thank you that you, seated in the throne of the universe, love each one of us, and you give us meaning and purpose in our lives. Amen. One more time.